The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Hal Schurz. Hello once again, everybody. You've entered the Doctor's Lounge. Welcome. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Every week, myself and my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, bring you the information in healthcare that you need so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family. The uh, show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. The foundation is devoted to the doctor-patient relationship and for healthcare freedom for all Americans across the U.S. So please support the Docs for Patient Care Foundation at www.d4pcfoundation.org. That's d4pcfoundation.org. And help to uh, keep the show going and allow us to continue to uh, continue on our mission of uh, fighting for your health care freedom. On this show, as you know, we talk about the subjects that doctors talk about in doctors' lounges all over the country and uh, give you the insight that you may not uh, get from newspapers and radio um, and uh, simply by just uh, trying to find this information out on your own. So uh, today's show will be, I think, a, a little bit provocative, and it's going to be um, very timely talking about a couple of things that are actually in the mainstream news. But first, I would like to uh, promote once again our direct primary care meeting, our nuts and bolts meeting, which is just three weeks away in Orlando, Florida, March 14th to 16th. This is going to be clearly one of the most exciting and best Conferences that we've put on, and we've been doing this for the last six years. It is the premier conference in um, in primary direct primary care in family medicine and and other direct care specialties. It is um, by far um, the most valuable resource that you can have if you are a physician <clears throat> contemplating getting out of insurance and looking to own your own business, which is cash-based, on a subscription basis, you'll want to attend this meeting. And uh, I promise you that you will get more out of this short meeting than any other meeting that you might attend in your uh, career. And, I, and I'm not using those words... Um, uh, frivolously. I, I think that people who have attended this conference in the past and we've had repeat, um, attendees, they almost universally tell us how valuable this conference is. <clears throat> it gives them the tools that they need so that they can, um, either, uh, begin to run a direct primary care practice or run their existing practice 
more efficiently run it better than they were. It gives them information they need to protect their practice from um, the the deep state, the legal issues that people who go into this um, field may may face if they don't do things um, uh, properly. So you'll want to come to this meeting. It is really amazing. And this year will be um, better than before. We've got um, hands-on sessions so that direct primary care doctors can learn how to uh, do things better in the office that they can um, uh, give certain care to patients that they may be a little apprehensive about giving. Um, We are going to have, um, for the first time, uh, people presenting information about their practices rather than a set program. So they've had to submit um, uh, abstracts so that our committee could review this. We, we have um, a guest keynote speaker, Marty McCary, who is um, one of the experts on healthcare policy and has written one of the most uh, important books about healthcare, in my opinion, The Price We Pay, and he'll be there um, ready to sign your books. Ms. America, um, from 2022 is um, going to be there as a motivational speaker at our luncheon. You do not want to miss this. And uh, time is running out. The um, There are still spaces available. So go to our website, www.d4pcfoundation.org, and sign up today. I promise you, you will not be sorry. And uh, I hope to see you at this conference. Come up to me and let me know that you are a listener of our radio show. That would be extremely helpful for me. We have several sponsors for our conference, um, some of whom we uh, would like to uh, share with our listening audience. So I'm going to take an opportunity to uh, do a few promos during this show today. One of them is Hint Software. Hint Core powers direct care, enabling over 3,500 practices to manage memberships, billing, and automate administrative tasks for over 1 million members. Hint serves direct primary care practices, networks, and other clinics that offer membership-based care. With Hint Technology, Direct primary care doctors and clinicians have a trusted platform to launch, grow, and scale their direct care business. Hint Clinical combines the business tools of Hint Core with the functionality of a modern EMR, practice management app, and patient communication platform all in one technology. With Hint Clinical, direct primary care doctors and clinicians can seamlessly chart, e-prescribe, order labs, and securely communicate with patients via in-app phone, text, and e-fax. Hint Technology is HIPAA compliant and provides everything direct primary care doctors and clinicians need to successfully onboard and communicate with patients, 
managed care, memberships, and billing to run the practice of their dreams. To get started with Hint, visit hint.com slash software. So, how many shows have you heard me discuss why government should not control your health care? I mean, honestly, what could possibly go wrong when the government is involved? Well, I'll just name a few. How about rationing care, which is going to happen because when the government has a pool of money and there is a huge population that requires health care, then somebody is going to be making decisions about who is going to get care and what kind of care they're going to get, who is going to provide that care, where they're going to provide that care, what procedures are even available to them. How do we know this? Well, just look across the pond. In fact, look at our next-door neighbors in Canada or in Great Britain. We know this for a fact. We know that grandma with a broken hip at age 86, who's in really good physical health, may not get a hip replacement, but instead may get a cane, simply because there are not enough resources to pay for her hip replacement when there is a greater need to provide that hip to some 35-year-old who has a vascular necrosis of their femoral head and needs a hip replacement and has another 30 years of work ahead of them. This is what we're seeing, unfortunately, in California right now with illegals. Yes, illegal aliens. I said it. They are receiving free health care right now. There's a magnet for these illegal aliens to come to California. Not just because Texas has done a superb job of shutting down their borders with Constantina wire and uh, shipping containers and inflatable um, uh, uh, barriers on the river and uh, Texas Department of Safety officers and National Guard turning back people. Because Texas has done what the federal government should be doing, Texas's border is a, is um, effectively closed. So it's like whack-a-mole. Now with the Texas border closed, there are other places that are vulnerable and that the illegals are finding their way into, one of which is California, which has a uh, provision, thanks to um, Governor Newsom, um, that illegals get free health care. Well, when there are limited resources and illegals get free health care, what do you think happens to the citizens of California? They don't get health care. And that's true in clinics. If you have a clinic that has 40 available slots to see patients that day, 
and 20 of them are taken up by illegal aliens, that means 20 people who could have had clinic appointments who need care are not going to get it. It's simple math. That's what happens when the government is in charge of health care. There are two stories that just broke that should trouble everyone, regardless of your political leanings. Yesterday, a child in Indiana, it may have been a couple of days ago, a child in Indiana was removed from their home because the parents misgendered him. That's right. They did not identify him by the pronoun and gender that he preferred to be recognized as. This biological male identified as a female and the parents declined to use his chosen name or his pronouns. So what happened? The Indiana Department of Child Services (coughs) was allowed to take the child out of the home because they claimed that the disagreement over the child's gender, the child's gender identity, was distressing the child and as such constituted child abuse. I never thought that we could possibly get to this place, but we here we are. We have gotten there. This is the tyranny of the state. The parents turn out to be devout Catholics, and they can't support the actions of their child. In 2019, the child told the parents that he identified as a girl, but the parents refused to refer to him as anything other than the sex consistent with his biology, which was consistent with their religious point of view. In addition, the parents, the Coxes, that's their name, believed that their son was struggling with underlying mental health conditions, including an eating disorder. So what did they do? As good parents, as caring parents, they sought therapeutic care for their son. But in early 2021, Indiana officials began investigating the Coxes. Why? Because a report was found that they did not refer to their child by his preferred gender identity. So what did they do? They removed the teen from the home and placed him in a, quote, gender-affirming home. They took this child out of the parents' home, the loving care of their par- of the parents, 
and put him in a home that the state decided was appropriate for supporting his decision, this teenager's decision uh, regarding his sex identity. Despite unsubstantiated claims of abuse, the Department of Child Services alleged that the Coxes created the eating disorder that this patient had. And and what was really amazing and what the state refused to acknowledge is that this child's eating disorder actually worsened after he was removed from his parents' home and placed in a transition-affirming home. So just to recap, the, the information was there. The state already knew that this eating disorder was not getting better simply because he was in a uh, a, a home that affirmed his sexual identity. It made the problem worse, but that didn't matter to the Department of Child Services because their agenda was based on transgenderism and putting him in the place that they felt was the proper placement for this child. The state knew this. They acted differently than in the best interest of the child. Sounds familiar, right? It's sort of like what happened in COVID with vaccines when the government knew they didn't work, and yet they pushed the agenda. They're still pushing the agenda. This is the state. This is the deep state. In, integrally involved in your health care decisions. The Coxes said, quote, this is what every parent is afraid of. They went on to say, we love our son and wanted to take care of him. But the state of Indiana robbed us of that opportunity by taking him from our home and banning us from speaking to him about gender. The Cox's attorney said, quote, that keeping a child away from loving parents because of religious beliefs, even when the state admits there was no abuse or neglect, is wrong, and it's against the law. The case is being presented to the U.S. Supreme Court now. The lawyer stated that the court should agree to take the case. They're debating whether they should or not. They need to make it clear to other states that may decide to go this same route that they cannot take children away from parents simply because of ideologic disagreements. The lawyer said that if this could happen in Indiana, which is a conservative state, it can happen anywhere. You know, this is not so different from the case that I have previously talked about in a show in the past in England, where a young girl with a terminal 
disease, a degenerative disease, was basically sentenced to death by the National Health Service in Great Britain. How was she sentenced to death? Well, there was a hospital in Italy that had experience treating this degenerative condition. The parents were desperate. They were grasping at straws, trying to extend the life of their daughter, their afflicted daughter. And they wanted to find some doctor, someone who would care for them. Now, the National Health Service in Great Britain wouldn't pay for any care because, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, there's rationing of care because of limited resources. So this young child who had a degenerative disease was viewed by the panel of experts in Great Britain to not have hope for living, and so they did not want to waste any precious financial resources on this child. So the parents, in desperation, sought out doctors who would take on the care of this child, and they found a facility in Italy that had expertise in treating this condition and was willing to transport the patient at their cost, willing to take care of the patient at their cost, and provide the free care that these parents were desperately begging for. The NHS stepped in, they assigned police to monitor this family and prevent them from leaving the country until this child finally died. The state sentenced this child to death. This is the state involved in healthcare decisions. And this is happening here. We are seeing it happen now with transgender. The transgender case is a harbinger of things to come. The trajectory of what is happening will undoubtedly lead to other cases like this Indiana case. Don't believe me? Look no further than Minnesota. It's become a sanctuary state for the transgender children. It's a place where kids can come and receive, quote, gender-affirming care, like hormones, hormone blockers, and surgery, without parental consent. They get there because of activists. It could be a teacher. It could be somebody at a clinic who is a an accomplice with the transitioning of this child who is a minor and should be um, under the purview of the parents, but they can smuggle the children out of the parents' home, out of their state, bring them to Minnesota, and they can get this, this quote, gender-affirming care, end quote, 
completely abrogating, ignoring parental rights. No one other than Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil McGraw, not a a conservative spokesperson by any means, he's weighed in on this transgenderism. He's been blasting those pushing this on children. I have said, me personally, this is Dr. Hal talking, that this is child abuse. It's child abuse in the highest, highest form. It's, it's institutional child abuse because you have, you have organizations that should know better, that should be looking out for the care of children, like the American Academy of Pediatrics, who are pushing this agenda because of activists. And we're going to look back at this time in horror because this is leftism at its worst, using children as pawns to achieve political means which is basically disrupting societal norms. And why do they want to do that is a great question. It's because leftists, Marxists hate this country. I was listening to uh, a talk show host or I, I and it was in, he was interviewing um someone a politician and they were talking about Marxists and leftists and the the real question is what are they hoping to achieve what is their goal why do they want to upset society and destroy it and i don't think that they have an answer they just hate our society dr phil said that those pushing children to become transgender were causing long-term damage to the kids He also warned that social media is causing the issue to become a, quote, social contagion. Dr. Phil made these comments in an interview with Joe Rogan recently on the Joe Rogan show while discussing transgenderism in kids. He said, quote, it's interesting that officials choose words like gender-affirming care. But really what they're talking about is hormonal therapy or sex reassignment surgery on children. And in fairness, he said, the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and the American Endocrinologic Society, all major medical associations, have signed off on this. They signed off on it. And he said, I have never seen those organizations sign off on anything with less information as to whether or not it does long-term harm in anything in his life. And when he was asked about that, when he brought it up to these organizations they immediately label him as, quote, transphobic. He's not transphobic, folks, nor am I. I am interested 
in protecting the children. I am devoted to protecting the children. I have spent my entire life professionally protecting children only to see this emerge, which breaks my heart because it is, it is a crime. And I am not transphobic. I have nothing, um, against people who decide that they want to, um, mutilate their bodies or take hormones that they, that are inappropriate to the gender they were born with. They can do whatever they want to, to themselves when they're adults. I think that that's a mistake. I think that there are a lot of people who regret doing this, but that's up to them. But to push this on children and to be accessories to what constitutes um, child abuse is is a crime. And what I really object to is this movement that demands that we embrace this. People could do whatever they want in the privacy of their home, in the anonymity of their own being, but they don't have to flaunt it and push it on people and make them love what they're doing. They can accept it. They can, people can, can, um, can tolerate it. But people do not need to celebrate it if that's not what they want to do. Dr. Phil noted that numerous European countries have reversed course on the transgender issue. Why? Because they recognized that it's harmful to children. Officials um, have done this um, because one of the reasons that transgender treatments were were implemented is because they were um, doing it to prevent suicide and um, the um, the the reason that they that they initially undertook uh, to try to prevent suicide has not reduced the suicide epidemic that is occurring. Um, now, the medical organizations that I've mentioned and others, they still embrace this, even though the data supports that suicide rates are no better. Um, so changing sexual identity does not fix all of the comorbid issues that come along with feeling like they are in the wrong body. The medical organizations have given into the pressure from activists. Let me take a another hot moment to uh, do a uh, another break, another uh, um, sponsor uh, a break to to uh, recognize another one of our sponsors for our uh, direct primary care conference. Um, these sponsors are very important for um, our. Um, the success of our meeting, and we appreciate them uh, coming on board and helping us, supporting us to put on this conference. So let me tell you a little bit about Sigma MD. 
Are you dreaming of a modern EMR system tailored to your needs? Well, meet Sigma MD, an engaging and intuitive EMR designed for direct care physicians. The platform also includes communication tools, payments, scheduling, AI copilot, and much more, all in one comprehensive package. Eliminate multiple subscription fees and fragmented patient data. Sigma MD provides a unified solution to streamline your practice operations. Whether you're an established practice or just starting out, we're here to support you in every step of the way. Enjoy a no-cost period until your practice is up and running. Visit booth number 8 at the Direct Primary Care Nuts and Bolts meeting in three weeks to learn more. Let us guide you confidently into your direct care journey. Let's go back to the transgender issue and Dr. Phil. He warned that what was happening in America's public schools was something that needs to really be looked at carefully. He is very concerned about teachers who are actively working to undermine relationships that children have with their parents. He said, quote, first off, if this is either a psychological phenomenon or a medical phenomenon, the the teachers are not trained in either psychology or medicine. So, hence, they are not more any more trained to deal with transgender than they are to take out a kid's spleen in the homeroom. If it is a psychological thing, if it's gender dysphoria, or if it's a medical issue, then you need someone trained in child psychology, psychiatry, or medicine. And the teacher is not trained in any of those things. So how are they qualified to deal with this? He went on. Secondly, it's teaching the child to keep secrets from their parents. It's teaching deception and interfering with the child's relationship with their parent. Now, the the justification for that is if the child goes home and announces this, or if we tell it to the parent, then the child could get abused. The child could be judged. The child could get kicked to the curb. But they have to admit that any of these are exceedingly rare So the parent has the right to know what's going on. Now, Dr. Phil is absolutely right about this, but this would be antithetical to the agenda of the activists who are looking to disrupt, and the best way to do that is through your children. Now, Joe Rogan weighed in, and he noted that kids are gullible and that they're easy to manipulate. 
He said that you can talk kids into almost anything. You can talk kids into believing all kinds of ridiculous crap. It's because (coughs) they are really young. You can easily convince them in one way or another that they're anything. Queer, trans, you could 100% convince some kids of all kinds of things by reinforcing it with love and support and happiness. You can convince people of a lot of things. So Dr. Phil replied that the entire transgender issue was not appropriate and unsafe for children. And those who tried to tell you that the effects of transgender procedures are reversible are lying. And that's because they do not want to admit the dangers because it would subvert their agenda. Dr. Phil believes a lot of what is driving the transgender phenomenon onto young people was social media platforms and the internet. Activists don't speak for the community at large, the, uh, the, the trans community. The activists have an agenda. They're pushing the agenda. So it gets lots of oxygen on the internet and on social media platforms. Now, they say that there's no social contagion here, but girls that are claiming to be boys, to be transgender, that percentage has gone up 800 to 1,000% over the last several years. And he closed by saying, quote, it's because they feel more comfortable talking about it now. That's insane. It's not true. Or is it because you read about it and you see it on social media and you think, well, I can distinguish myself this way. So there's a social contagion effect. So because of that, people jump on the bandwagon. Some people think it may be short term, but many of them will do things that can't be reversed, like mastectomies or penectomies. Hormones can't be reversed. You could stop giving them, but it has a lasting effect. The activists say there are very few detransitioners. Dr. Phil said, I don't think that's true. There are more that want to reverse than are being reported. And that is true. And that is a fact. But that would, again, be contrary to the agenda of the activists. So shame, shame, shame on the medical societies, the medical associations that support this. Shame on you. Shame on every one of you who are hurting and damaging our children. And this is why the state should not be involved in healthcare.
You want another example? Let's look at another story that just broke. Um, it happened in Alabama and it has to do with the, um, the infertility clinics and frozen embryos. So let me set this up for everyone. There was a couple that had fertilized eggs. The dad gave sperm. The mom had eggs um, harvested. The family was, the, the couple was having trouble conceiving. So they were going to do um, conception through in vitro fertilization using their own fertilized eggs. Um, they take the eggs, they put them into a, um, a special facility that preserves the eggs with cryopreservation. This is extreme freezing, um, to preserve the, the, um, the embryos. Some person, unauthorized person had access to this, um, this, uh, embryo bank and because they were stupid and they went to grab the eggs and didn't realize that the temperature is many many degrees below below zero they got a freeze burn on their hands when they touched the file and dropped it destroying the embryos so the couple was very angered and they sued the, the, um, uh, facility and wanted recourse. And, um, the, uh, parents wanted, uh, to sue the, the clinic for wrongful death. Lower courts ruled against the couple citing that the case did not meet the definition of person or child. So the couple appealed, and it went went all the way up to the Alabama Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court surprisingly reversed the decision, noting that, quote, extrauterine children, that's what they're calling embryos now, extrauterine children are in fact children. Now, this was a a stunning, stunning ruling, calling embryos children, and and, uh, now um, holding the clinic libel for involuntary manslaughter for wrongful death and it has widespread implications the court's decision does not prohibit in vitro fertilization or harvesting of eggs and and sperm collection and fertilizing the eggs with the sperm but it will have a profound, profound impact on how the fertility industry operates. Firstly, 
liability costs will skyrocket. Right now, in vitro fertilization is unavailable to a great number of people in the community. And this is something that is so expensive that either you have to be wealthy, you have to have help from someone who's willing to give you the $10,000 per uh, attempt at in vitro fertilization implantation, or you have to be fortunate enough to work for an employer that covers this. Most people don't have any of that. But because of this ruling and the liability costs that will be imposed on these clinics, their insurance rates will go up, the cost of doing business will go up, and those costs are going to be passed along to the, the couple's that are desperate to have children, the infertile couples. It will become cost prohibitive. And we're going to see so many families that have been blessed to have children through IVF no longer be able to um, uh, participate in that program. This ruling could discourage medical providers from performing infertility treatments in fear of being held liable each time that an embryo does not turn into a successful pregnancy. If you are calling an embryo an extrauterine child and you implant it and something happens and that embryo does not survive, is that manslaughter? Is that a wrongful death? This is uncharted territory, and doctors are not going to want to take on the potential liability and and have their their lives ruined because of a failed IVF treatment. This we've seen the implications of what happens to doctors who are being, I'm going to say, persecuted by a out-of-control legal system um, with obstetricians who um, deliver babies that are are, um, what we call bad babies. They have um, bad medical problems, but you find these unscrupulous lawyers, these ambulance chasers who <clears throat> who prey on the grief of these poor f- mothers and fathers take their case and sue the doctors for wrongful death or for for a baby turning out to have a an a condition that is going to be a um a handicap for the rest of the child's life. So as a result, obstetricians train in obstetrics and gynecology, and so many of them have left obstetrics to do just gynecology, leaving 
so many communities without obstetricians, without enough obstetricians to deliver babies. It's a crisis in some states, in some counties around the country where there is is not an obstetrician for hundreds of miles because of this. The same is going to be true with infertility doctors. The infertility um, specialty has has um, thrived, it's flourished because of the advances in being able to help infertile couples, couples that have been unable to have children the standard way, um, that, that, that specialty is right now under attack and it will have profound implications in a state like Alabama and many other states that may elect to follow suit. This should serve as a warning to other states not to follow in the same path as Alabama because it will have grave long-term complications. This ruling, what does it mean to the parents who have um, a uh, fertilized egg in a cryopreservation facility? What happens when the family has had enough children? They decide to implant embryos and a, a, a mother is fortunate enough to have triplets from this procedure and they feel like they've got enough children and they still have six or eight frozen embryos does this mean that they have to continue to pay for cryopreservation of their embryos if they have them destroyed, are they committing manslaughter? The facilities that that um, that do these procedures sample the embryos for a whole array of genetic problems. When there are bad genetic problems, the facility informs the parents and they mutually agree to destroy the embryo. Well, what happens now in Alabama? Do these embryos get destroyed? I don't think so. They Otherwise, that will be involuntary manslaughter. And what happens when these parents who preserve their embryos die? What happens then? Do the children have to preserve, pay to get them, have them preserved? And then their children, does this go on in perpetuity? Because that's what there's, the state of Alabama is saying. There is going to be civil liability for fertility specialists. And that too will drive them away from states with these these uh, draconian laws. We're seeing this, like it or not, regardless of what your view about abortion is, we're seeing it with abortion. We're seeing that states that have implemented draconian um, abortion laws 
that they cannot abort a child after six weeks of age, heartbeat law or conception law, that mothers who have a baby that is not surviving, that is harming the mother, they can't get doctors in these communities, in these states, to do a dilation and extraction, uh, a, a therapeutic, quote, abortion, because of fear of being uh, prosecuted by the state. So these mothers are dying. They are dying. I, I don't, I, I don't know the numbers, but I know somebody personally for whom this happened. Fortunately, the, the mother of this pregnant woman, that's who my friend is, is a nurse and in medical sales and knows a lot about healthcare, knows enough to take her daughter who was going into septic shock because they could not get a doctor in the community in the state of Texas to be able to help this mother out. And she had to take her daughter, sick as she was, on a plane to Washington State to get the medical treatment that she needed. That's what's going to happen with the IVF issue that has just surfaced. It is absolutely going to happen. And this should be a warning, a shot across the bow, that these these decisions that are being made by the state about your health care, whether you are conservative and believe in life at conception or whether you are a a um a liberal who believes in transgender and more power to them and let's let's um get more children with quote gender dysphoria um transitioned regardless of what your political leadings are the state involved in healthcare in your healthcare decisions is going to eventually harm you this is the tyranny of the state people need to be in charge of their own healthcare and make their own healthcare decisions like it or not, whatever that decision is. And and you cannot let the state get involved. With children, the parents need to be in charge, not the state. With embryos, the parents need to be in charge, not the state. And I'm afraid that on the trajectory that we are on, less and less healthcare freedom will be afforded to Americans. More and more decisions will be made by a bureaucrat who knows nothing about you, who cares nothing about you, 
who in many cases will have an agenda and we will be worse off for this um, in the future. So I bring this to you because we need to empower the medical community to to give the power back to the doctors and the patients and not allow the state to step in because they do not care about you. Um, I'm going to do one more um, one more recognition of a sponsor for our upcoming meeting before I sign off. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about Sidera Health. Sidera is a Covenant Health Share Incorporated benevolence fund that uses medical cost sharing as an innovative approach for managing large and unexpected medical expenses. Sidera members belong to a community of individuals who support one another by sharing in each other's medical cost burdens whenever possible and when resources are available. It's no secret that people are paying sky-high amounts of money into a broken healthcare system without visibility into where their money goes. Sidera Medical Cost Sharing is a non-insurance alternative solution that works. It's affordable, flexible, and provides peace of mind. Learn more at www.sidera, that's S-E-D-E-R-A, Dot com and take back control of your health care. We appreciate all of the sponsors for the direct primary care nuts and bolts meeting coming up in Orlando on March 14th to 16th, just three weeks away. There's still time to sign up. So I encourage everyone who's a physician out there who wants to um, uh, either uh, explore <clears throat> getting away from insurance and getting into direct primary care, owning your own business, and being able to uh, get um, your uh, payments directly from patients instead of from insurance companies. It's better for you. It's better for your patients, and it works. So um, plan on coming. It's not too late. There are still open spots available. Thanks for being here today in the Doctor's Lounge, and uh, please join my co-host, Dr. Scott, in, uh, in, uh, ne- in the, uh, behind the microphone next week. I will be gone in two weeks. I am looking to uh, get one of my buddies to, uh, uh, to sit in for me. I'll be back here in four weeks. Thanks for being with us. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.